Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. This week, I'm joined by Patty Dingle. She is Head of Diversity and Inclusion for the Americas at BNY Mellon. She's responsible for leading the region's engagement in global diversity and inclusion strategy. So DNI strategy. She also is responsible for ensuring DNI is integrated into business and client initiatives, overseeing their partner network to optimize a diverse talent pipeline and professional development opportunities and outcomes. She works closely with senior leaders and employee and business resource groups as they accelerate their focus and actions supporting underrepresented talent, including Black and Latinx. Prior to joining BNY Mellon, Patty was with Visa, where she focused on similar initiatives and played an integral part in designing an underrepresented talent strategy, including standing up the company's first Black Executive Council. She also designed and launched inclusive leadership training for people managers. Her prior experience includes designing and facilitating diversity and cultural competence training and implementing the Executive Diversity Council chaired by the CEO at CSAA Insurance Group. She will spend some time talking about her career as a producer for ABC7 Network Television, and she later served as the promotion director for KTSF Channel 26, the leading television station for the Asian community in the Bay Area. She holds a degree in broadcast communications from San Francisco State University and an MBA from Brandman University. She is a Seaside California native, and she currently serves on the advisory board of Self-Esteem, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a sustainable supply of underrepresented minority women leaders who are recognized as top talent in science, technology, engineering, and mathematic fields. Shout out to Adamika Jelo, who is the founding executive director of Self-Esteem. Keep up the great work. So I am so excited to have Patty Dingle with me here today. I have known you now, it seems, I think at least over a decade. I don't know. But you are doing such wonderful and marvelous things in diversity, inclusion, equity, all of those things that I am so excited to have this conversation with you and hear about what you're doing and Hopefully you can provide some nuggets of wisdom, but I figured we'd start out. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your personal background and how you even got into inclusion, equity, diversity. How did you even come to work in this area? Well, first, thanks for inviting me. I've been low-key stalking you on social media and I was seeing your <laughs> podcast and was thinking, when's she going to call me? <laughs> 
<laughs> just I didn't so want to stop you back. So, you know. No, no, no. Yeah, it just so happens we connected. So, again, no, I truly appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, what's super interesting, I think, is that I actually started my career, my adult working life in television. I have a broadcasting degree. I um, went to San Francisco State, which that school is known for their broadcasting program. I was a student athlete, which basically meant I was spoiled and got whatever I wanted. And, (laughs) (laughs) And I will say that, you know, funny story, I actually landed a job at ABC in San Francisco four days after I graduated, which is rare. Wow, right? I was going to say, how nice is that? Super nice because I got a job, you know? I didn't have to move back home. Um, and here's how I got that job. Uh, I found out that my dad actually worked in the same building as the Western Division president of ABC. Because of this particular executive's job, and he traveled so much, they allowed him to have his office wherever he wanted. And I'm originally from Seaside, California, which is part of the Monterey Peninsula, which a lot of people know it for Carmel and Pebble Beach. It's beautiful. It is. And this guy had his office, his name was Ken Johnson, had his office in Pacific Grove, California. My dad was the maintenance guy. But my dad was big and dynamic, and personable and everyone loved my dad, right? So of course my dad knows the Western Division president of ABC. Of course he does. Well, of course. And I said, Dad, hook me up. What are you thinking? So he really didn't put it together because a lot of parents when you're in school, they really kind of don't know what you're up to, particularly if they did not go to university, right? And my dad mentioned me to this executive. And next thing you know, I'm meeting with the general manager at ABC in San Francisco and I get a job. Wow. That says a lot about dad, for sure. Says a lot about my dad. And you know how people say it's who you know? Yes. It's who you know. And that's going to be a theme throughout kind of my career, right? And so I started at ABC in San Francisco. I started in the research department and literally like an hour later found out that the promotion director needed someone. And frankly, I was an overpaid intern, right? They couldn't not, they couldn't deny me because Ken Johnson told them to give me a job. And so working in promotions was great. It was fun. It was all about the image of the television station. And then ultimately, um, I made friends there. And one of my friends chose to leave the role that she was in. She was going to pursue something bigger in Los Angeles and said, hey, you'd be a great replacement for me. And it came down to me and a couple other people. And I was ultimately hired by two women that would be my mentors for the rest of their lives, actually. And one is still living who is still my mentor. And it was in public affairs. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And public affairs at a television station is really the heart and the soul, right? They help marginalized communities amplify their voices. So I think you could probably predict where this is going. It's all about communications, right? And yeah, yeah. Amplifying that voice. That's awesome. Amplifying that voice, giving back, right? And in San Francisco, large Asian population, large Black population, large 
at the time it was the Latino population now known as Latinx. And we were one of the few stations that produced very high quality packaged shows and packaged means you go out, you interview, you get B-roll, you package it all together for a full 30 minute or hour show. And a lot of public affairs departments at other stations didn't do that. They were very low budget. They were just talking head type of shows. And they were called Profiles of Excellence. And every year, we would profile people from the community. But we were very intentional during Black History Month. Our Profiles of Excellence show profiled people from the Black community. So I was so privileged to meet people like Reverend Cecil Williams, you know, Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, all these people. But the, the caveat was that to be on the show, you had to give back, right? It wasn't just celebrity status. You had to give back. And so we had a Black African-American Profiles of Excellence. We had an Asian one. We had a Hispanic Latino one, uh, as I said, now Latinx. And that really gave me some visibility into not just the community that I'm a part of, but other communities in the Bay Area, right? And their needs and the inequity that existed, hence the amplifying the voices. Yes. I remember I was assigned a package for our African-American Profiles of Excellence, and I got to interview, and people in the Bay Area will know who she is, Rennell. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah. Radio personality, now the voice of the San Francisco Giants, And I tell you, you spend a lot of time with folks when you're interviewing them and putting these packages together. And man, she just let me in. And I will tell you this, she didn't know me from anyone, but to see a Black woman in that type of role, doing what she was doing was just inspirational. And then I was just like, I got to keep doing this work, right? Um, But in television, it's very stressful For me, it started to impact me in a very negative way, the stress. And I decided, you know, I I need to leave this big market television station. And I went to a small, privately owned television station in the Bay Area, Asian language television station, KTSF. So again, amplifying voices, but for the Asian community. And man, that just like exposed me to so much cultural nuances, being only an English speaker and working with people who are speaking Cantonese and Mandarin and how to maneuver that. And I was a promotion director. So my job was to create visibility, right? But ultimately it's still a grind. And I was just like, I'm not quite sure if if this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But lo and behold, those two women that I worked with at ABC, one of them left and went to AAA. And I get wind, her name is Rose Gilbo. I get wind that she's looking for someone in her philanthropy department, right? And I was like, well, this is a this is a sign. Maybe because at the time I never thought that she would leave the television station. She was there for 20 something years, right? So I left and I went to AAA and that's when it all started like truly started the diversity work. So you take all the experience in the television stations and the communities. Now I'm giving money away to these communities, right? And figuring out how to get employees to volunteer and help. And 
that was just the hook for me, right? Giving back. And then the other woman that I worked with at ABC, Ginny Amate, ended up coming to AAA. So you see how this is working. It is who you know. Hold on to that. But you know what? At the end of the day, when people open doors for you, you still have to do the work. Absolutely. Right? You got to live up to that. You got to live up to that. And you have even more responsibility, right? It's even more pressure, particularly when you're a woman of color and you're working with women of color women who have, you know, diverse backgrounds, right? Diverse, I mean, ethnicity, right? right? And so when this all happened, I was like, okay, this might be a career for me. Then I get a phone call from the head of HR at AAA. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> like, this is very bizarre. Why is she calling me? Keep in mind, Black woman, head of HR at AAA. And she goes, hey, listen, I talked to your boss. I talked to the CEO. I want to carve out an opportunity for you on the diversity team. But here's the catch. They wanted to take what I was doing on the philanthropy side and merge it with diversity. Makes sense, right? Because you're giving money to marginalized communities. You're supporting marginalized communities, et cetera. So I thought about it and I said, absolutely. I'll take it. And that started my journey in what is now called diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. At the time, it was just diversity. It wasn't even inclusion involved. I think there were a couple of employee resource groups called affinity groups at the time. Right. Yeah. And um, I was on a team of five. Uh, we were focused on Northern California. And that's where the journey started. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. It's a lot. And now look at you. Look at you. You have gone from large corporations and financial payment technology and financial services and you are doing it. So, well, thank you. I don't know how much I'm really doing at this point, but uh, it feels like it. And, you know, I think being at BNY Mellon. It's a big task. Yeah. 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 Not going to change overnight. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And the one thing that I learned in kind of reflecting on this work is I think people in this space do not recognize the small wins that occur every day, every day from that one employee who reaches out, who just wants some advice or to that communications person who says, Hey, can you look at this real quick? And you find something that is maybe a little tone deaf or, you know, you have someone on your team that is just stretched too far and willing and just ready to like give it all in. And I mean, you have to do this work because you, you have to, how do I put this? If you're looking for that silver bullet, yeah, you do it because you love it and you know it's, yeah. it it does make a difference. Yes. But you don't necessarily you it's like you're you're walking around planting seeds but you may not see the tree grow. Yeah. Yeah, but and you have to realize others yeah. are going to see it. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Cuz it's Which not is, all about you. Awesome. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, for me it's like it always starts with me. You know, like I have to think about me, myself, my own bias, you know, all of these things. But at the end of the day, it, it isn't about me. It's about 
how I see other people and and what how I treat them and you know empathize and and all of those things, which oh is, yeah, I mean and that's a big part of the work. It's a big part of the work, and it's it's hard because especially when you work at a company like BNY Mellon, right? We are like, how do I? We're we are confident, you know, in in what we do: investment services, investment management, wealth management, right? We've been around hundreds and hundreds of years. We do pretty good, right? And so there's a constant bar that people are trying to consistently raise, right? And so when you're in a business like that, you take that on, yes, right? Mm-hmm. And when you when you're not able to recognize those little wins, as I mentioned, you could get pretty frustrated really quickly. Yes. You know? But I think, I think a lot of people can be frustrated. I mean, whether it's a large organization or, you know, if they're even a small company just trying to figure it out, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I've had people say like, why do I even need to be thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, right. You're, you're totally that. That's a great point because this is what I feel makes this work challenging in a good way. You never know what you're going to get. You might get that one executive that is just woke. Yep, I got it, Patty. You, let's let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Right? Intentionality. Then you have some leaders that are like, okay, like you said, why is this important again? Or that person with that great intention. Oh, well, you know, everybody's the same. I'm just looking for someone that works really hard and then coachable moments, right? So as a practitioner, you're constantly shifting and meeting people where they are, knowing that you're trying to get them to the same place. Yes. And that's why progress is not as visible. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of layers to that. A lot of layers. It's kind of, I think of like, you know, at those restaurants, they have that blooming onion. You just peel it back. It's constantly like, you know, oh, there's more. Yeah. Okay. There's more. Yeah. And then you get hit with what's happening in our world externally, you know, outside of work. Today is the one year anniversary of George Floyd's, and I'm going to say it, murder. Yeah. Because believe it or not, previous to the trial, when, and I won't even speak his name, I don't want to give it that power, but, you know, calling it a murder, you literally had folks going, wait a minute, no one's been convicted of that. But hold on, that's my perspective, right? Yeah. So I'm going to say it now. Right. Because that's what it is. And I said it before, but even reflecting on that, and I sent a note to our Black Leadership Forum just saying, hey, you all are on my mind today. And I don't know about everybody else, but you know what keeps replaying in my mind is his daughter. Yes. You know what? And Sense I don't fills know. up my body every time I think yeah, about it. Yeah, I, I just, Gianna is her name. Mm-hmm. And she said, my daddy changed the world. And I'm, it's, my eyes are puddling now because for this little girl, I, I don't remember how old she was. She's little. Like, she's not even 10. Right. I don't think. And say it, and saying that moved me, you know? And then I think about 
when I took this job, I literally was like, I can change the world. Yeah. You know, you have this powerful corporation. Yes. And then they're, they're hyper focused on this work, right? Regardless of where individual leaders are, there's an intentionality behind it. And I keep using that word because I think that that's critical to doing this work. Definitely. But when you're, your head of HR, your CEO, your financial officer, everybody is all on board with these representation goals for Black and Latinx talent, by the way. Yes. Very specific. Very specific, yeah. And giving people room to meet those goals. Like it's not in a year. It's like, okay, over three years, we're going to do this, right? That to I mean, me it, it used is to validation. Make it- it, and it used to not even be Black and Latinx. It used to just be women, right? I mean, it's almost like, you know, mm-hmm. they would they would kind of break off a chunk and just go, okay, I'm going to set like one goal. And that's what it was, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, there's some yeah. progress. And some. And even with that, like, I'll, I'll take that. Like, but I'll also when I have conversations, I go, you know, that also means black women. That also means right. black ex-women. That means Asian women. That means women that identify as LGBTQ, whatever, whichever one they identify. It means women that are veterans, women with disabilities. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Right. right? But that's kind of not how it started. Right. I mean, no, <laughs> no. it was like, because women, it was comfortable. Right. It was like, okay, this is maybe maybe the CEO's wife or daughter as they think about it, right? Which was, you know... Well, that was the story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The executives, well, I have daughters. Well, right. your daughters are like you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and I mean, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's where the changes that you are making, I mean, the work that you are doing is changing the world. It just you just can't see it. That's right. That's on right. a large scale. Sometimes you just have, you know, so I, your point of the little wins, I mean, they mean a lot, right? Because yeah. To, yeah. Some, to one person even, that probably, hopefully, has changed the trajectory of their life. Yeah. And I think practitioners need to be more aware of that. Yeah. Because I think some of us try to do things too quickly. Well, um, and it's, I mean, it can be a very thankless job, right? So absolutely. You have to love it. You have to wake up in the morning because you love your job. It's kind of like the analogy of if you continue to drip water on a boulder, that boulder will ultimately go away, right? It'll yes. be slowly broke. It'll break down slowly. And that's the, that's kind of the analogy that I like to use too. And back to Gianna Floyd and what she said about her daddy she saw it happening in front of her eyes, like the peaceful protests throughout the world, not just in Minneapolis, the world. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I don't know why that just resonates with me so much right now, but I just, like I said, I'm very moved by it, but it's, it's also this thing about, you said thankless, right? Also being confident that I don't need anybody else to validate what I'm doing. Right. Like, I'm confident in it. I show up for work every day. You know, I I would expect that I give it 110 every day, right? And also sometimes you're also trying to have to explain yourself all the time, 
right? No one, no one on the on the business side is walking in going, okay, we're going to acquire these customers because of these reasons. No, but diversity people, we walk in and we have to say, here's a business case over and over and over and over, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah, no, you're right. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. And I know we've we've talked a lot about, I mean, certainly Asian hate that we're, you know, we're seeing a lot of focus on Asian hate now, a lot of similar treatment, um, you know, yeah. some of which I have to say I'm, I, I'm just as, I, I don't even know what word to use because I've seen people run by and throw people into the street and just craziness. Like, I don't even understand how you can not have a value for life like that. Yeah. So that's hard. I mean, I think you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth, right? Like we're respectful of people. We don't think different is deficient. We are not threatened by other people who are not like us. So being half Japanese and half Black, I tell you, I've had to really ground myself with all of this. And even people that are perceived as Asian who are not are being attacked. Yeah. And we could this a whole other show about perception, right? But I think for me, I kind of boil it down to a couple of things, fear and selfishness. So a lot of times you hear particularly from white Americans, I'm going to use that term to describe it because I think it's relevant when you hear things like immigration, they're taking our jobs. Well, last time I checked, you weren't willing to work in the fields for next to nothing and break your back, right? Yeah. For these multi-million dollar companies. Okay, I want to see you go do that. Fear of identity, not being even remotely educated on systems and institutions. You know, Robin D'Angelo, who wrote White Fragility, said, if you were educated in public or private school, doesn't matter in the United States, you're racially incompetent. And she's absolutely right. Think about what we learned about the pilgrims. Wrong, 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 wrong. Think about everything that's happened to indigenous people, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. The Mormons didn't go to Hawaii and make peace. No, they ripped people of their like culture and their identity. Same thing happened to Eskimos, Aboriginal people everywhere, American Indians, right? And that to me is driven by fear, right? Well, and then we begin to actually do it even to ourselves, right? Because we're trying to acculturate. So, you know, if you are... If you immigrated here, you're like, oh, I have to be this way. Because I'm already standing out because my skin is a different color. My hair is a different texture. Right. You know, so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to not stand out as much. Yeah. Right. And that's when you start to lose your authentic self. Right. That's right. So it didn't start yesterday. It probably started like in elementary school. 
And then you get it from the other side. Oh, you sound so this, you sound so white. Oh, you got the good hair. No, 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 no. Don't do that to me. Right. You know? So, so when I think about my identity and I've shared this in many forums that the most discrimination I've ever faced was from other black people because I wasn't black enough. Right. Or really like about my hair texture. That was a big one. Right. Yeah. Or we can tell people, oh, yeah, I'm half black. No, you're not. I'm like, how are you going to tell me? Tell, they tell you what your identity how is. How are you going to tell me? Right. <laughs> and yes. then, you know, the Japanese side is very interesting as well because I don't know the language. My mom wanted us to assimilate, kind of to your point, fit mm-hmm. in. Yes. Don't mm-hmm. stand out too much. You're already standing out enough. Um, so don't know Japanese. Wish I did. But again, you know, not something my mom thought she wanted us to to learn. And so, you know, when you tell people you're Japanese and you don't speak the language, then it's like, what do you mean you don't speak the language? Like today, that's how it is, right? Right. Yeah, it's just a trip, like this dual identity, ethnicity. You know, there's a lot of us, by the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, I included. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and my parents did not meet well, you know, overseas and all that. A, a lot of people did, but that's kind of like the stereotype, right? And they met in the United States. And, you know, at one point, I feel like maybe not in my lifetime, everyone's going to be brown in yeah. this world. So yeah. you're not going to be able to tell anything, right? Right, right. But think about it. Why is it so important? For you to put be put in a box, right? Yeah. Why is that so important? <laughs> Right? You As if that's going to tell you something about me that's going to help you or maybe not have you be so fearful. Yeah. That whole one drop rule. I remember in elementary school, we had to fill out a form and that was before you could pick two or more. And I was confused. I didn't know what to do. It said, check one. The administrator told me, check black because that's what your dad is. Yeah. I was pissed. I was like, no. That's not my identity. That's not my only identity. I still have problems with, you know, checking boxes when people put stuff in front because they'll say, are you black, but not Hispanic? And I'm like, That's a whole other thing. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, you know, we could we could talk about all of the intersectionality. I mean, obviously, there's there's depth that to, you know, if we just think about one ethnicity, then you start talking about intersectionality and people are like, what? You know, like, what is happening? It's too complicated. It's too complicated, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when you, if you had, like me, the opportunities to work globally, yes, then the conversation changes. And then there's more conversations about nationality, socioeconomic status, age comes up a lot, ageism. Mm. You really learn to appreciate certain things being in the United States when you are a person with a disability. Yes. Even me being able-bodied, but being in diversity, you're in a country, you're like, how is someone supposed to do this when this is in the, you know what I mean? It's like, it's such a consciousness. Yes, yes. Well, and I think that's the key, right, is you get to a level of consciousness Mm -hmm. so that you're aware of 
challenges of others that as you go through your own life. That's right. That's right. right. I mean, and and that's where I think, you know, you end up with with gratitude for wherever you are in life and whatever you I mean, it's like you are who you are and you should be proud of it. You are enough. You know, I don't have to be anybody else. I can just be me. Yeah. I think, you know, that's that whole belonging part. It's like, what do I belong to and where am I? What am I trying to? you know, I want to connect with you as a person, right? So yeah, that kind of helps and it also kind of hinders, right? So think about just the people we want to connect with that are like us. Usually we're comfortable, right? So, you know, whatever it is, right? We went to the same school, like the same sports team, whatever. What When it becomes dangerous is when people limit their lens when they are like hiring folks yes, or maybe they have a bias towards a certain school or promoting people Mm -hmm. or even who they choose to sponsor. Yes. Right. So I think that, and listen, people, a lot of people don't live diverse lives either. Right. We we learned that, you know, Rosalind Hudnell said that a little while ago, she's used to be Red Intel and I think we have to really lead with empathy in those types of situations. Back to your point of intentionality, right? Intentionality. And I think people that work, I won't even say practitioners of diversity and inclusion, equity, all that. But I think also, how do I describe it? We have to understand that when people don't get it, the reasons why they don't get it. Right. And maybe you spend more time with that person. Maybe you offer a little bit of insight about yourself and then get them comfortable, right? Because there are a lot of times people in this space are like, I don't understand why they don't get this. You need to understand why they don't get it. Yeah. Well, and to your point, I mean, are there, you've been working in the space for so long. Are there like, you know, big mistakes that people can have made or can avoid maybe? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think... No one should ever feel excluded, even the folks that make up the majority. So all these companies coming out, you know, after George Floyd, making statements, making contributions, setting goals, the Asian hate that we're seeing, companies are coming out with statements, you know, making donations, all these things. And some people might feel like, well, what about me? Right. Right. And it's not to say that anything other than maybe just they just don't understand the inequity that exists because of systems that were put in place, right? right. Because yeah. listen, we've all seen it in the news, critical race theory, people, some people don't believe in it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about how black women couldn't even vote until 1965, two years before I was born. So more than likely, it's probably in your lifetime. Right. Yeah. Right. Or even the crown laws that are being passed today. The crown act, yeah, for sure. That allow people to wear their hair. The way how they, they want, want to wear, they want to wear their hair. Absolutely. Who's determining what's professional and what's not professional? Yeah. I cried when I saw that young boy have his hair cut on the wrestling match. Oh, yeah, I did too. That was heart-wrenching. I cried. Yeah. And yeah. just last week I read an article about a a black female softball player 
who had braids with beads. They made her take them out because it said it was a safety issue. They're lucky I'm not her parent, right? (laughs) Right. But her parents are now fighting to change that. Yeah. And as an athlete who who played that sport, I'm like, that's bullpucky. Like, come on. Right, right. Right. Well, but I think what's interesting, though, is when you bring up things like that, because to me, I remember growing up as a kid and asking my father how he, because he was a very calm man. And I remember just being in a state of rage and frustration and anger about being discriminated against. And I said, how do you keep your anger? Like, where does it go? Like, how do you, how do you Mm -hmm. manage it? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. you want to hurt somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I will never forget because he was the one who said, you know, the minute you focus the anger outward, you can't sit at the table and make the change that you need to make. That was his view. I mean, he was probably more yeah. Martin Luther King than Malcolm X. Sure. You know, there. I think now I have an appreciation maybe for both <laughs> both uh, strategies, but it, it is it's hard to contain the type of anger you see when you see people marginalized and and discriminated. Absolutely. So my answer to that, maybe you go to stealth mode, you know, and you do everything you can do yourself to bring people up, to bring them along, to create your tribe, and you pass it along. An an example of that that I will share that I did recently was a young person that I'm very fond of, Black female lawyer working somewhere where it was clear promises just were not kept. I said, I got you. I have a friend who's a judge. Let me introduce you. And let's see where we go from there. Next thing you know, there's going to be some shadowing involved. There's going to be some, they've had multiple conversations. So we have to connect each other and support each other. And even if we got to go in the back room and close the door and do it, that's what we got to do. Well, and I pick up the phone when someone calls you too. And that's another place where when we're talking about allyship, it's like, you want to be an ally? Connect people. Make Connect sure people and do it and do yes. stuff. Stop talking. Yes. Like, yes. like I, I just, I just, I was just uh, noticing. I, I just got a text from my. Um, I'll call her my sister-in-law. She's my. She's not with my brother anymore. But she's like, and she's Caucasian, and she says, you know, I'm reading all these books and everything. I said, at some point, you need to stop reading and start acting. Yeah. But see, I could tell her that, right? Right, right. And yeah. she has a son that's multiracial and yeah. oftentimes really thinks about that, right? And that's my nephew. And I told her, I said, you are in the best position to create something, create change, because you. she said multiple times, oh, there's so many of us that need to know more. I go, you start that, start okay. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Get people going and here's some more books you can read and you could watch this movie. But at some point, yeah, you got to like start. It's the head, heart, hand model, right? Like right. you could get it 
appear like, you know, cerebral, then when it touches your heart, then you start doing action. Right. Right. And I said that I, and she's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when you talk about your dad, my dad was very calm too, big guy, you know, six, four, big guy. And I mentioned how, you know, he was friends with everybody. Right. And, you know, he served in the military when it was segregated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in my office right now. I have his retirement certificate right here because it reminds me every day of what he endured. Yes. You know, and it drives me to do this work. So if I have to convince, influence, uh, drag you along, push you along, you know, give you a ride, whatever it is, I will do that. Yeah. Because it's so much bigger than me. Yes. Yes. I love that. You know, it's so much bigger than me. And, but that's how I was raised by my Japanese mother. Yeah. Is she told me one time, you know, don't ever leave the house with less than $20 in your pocket because she said, you never know who's going to need it. I love that. And we, she, she instilled that in me. She exemplified it every day, every day. And so anyway, I I think stay focused, be intentional. Don't be afraid. You know, I mean, I I run into situations where say you have an executive and we're like, you know what, make sure you have quote unquote diversity on your slate of candidates to fill your role. Because this is what we do too, Melissa. We, as people of color, we second guess sometimes if we're going to hire that person of color because of what people might think. I'm sorry, everybody right. else has been doing it. <laughs> right? Come yes, on. Yes, I think we should hire this person. They're like, why? I don't know. They don't fit here, really. Right? Or there's some other reason or excuse. But they'll give somebody else an opportunity when they've never worked in that area <laughs> right. before to try it. Right. Because maybe they're comfortable with them. Right, right. So I think we have to stop worrying about what others might say or think, right? Yeah. Especially if you're in charge, you could do whatever you want. Right. Right. That's the key right there, right? Position That's of the power, key. right? Position. And, and, and we, we're not going to get there unless we start changing how we see things too. Yes. So... Yeah. Just to reflect back very quickly, when I talked about how I started my career, I worked for two women of color, right? I left there. I worked for, you know, an Asian language station, right? But check it out. I didn't share this. The family that owned that, they were a white family. Wow. That's awesome. And I believe, I believe they were, I, I don't, I don't quite remember. They were the Howell family. And I believed. I believe they own the gas and electric company in Ohio or something like that. But here's the thing. They wanted to give the Asian community a voice. That's awesome. So I was there. And then, okay, AAA. I work for, again, a woman of color, right? Yeah. I go to Visa, woman of color. My BNY, woman of color. So that's rare. That's a very rare. It's rare. rare. I, and, I, and especially because I'm in a different, completely different experience. But I, I mean, I have well, not. You're in a different space. Yeah, right? for sure. You, for sure. And HR and all that. However, though, the reason why I share that, 
is because now it's my responsibility, right, yeah. to pay that forward, right? Absolutely. So anyway, just I don't know if you have any other. Plus, you have a very you have a giving mom and a larger than life dad who clearly you started this process much earlier. <laughs> I think I think so. And I grew up in a town. I said I mentioned Seaside, California, and you know I did a talk a little while ago and. The talk was about me and I showed them classroom picture. And, you know, that was back when they put each picture on the, on the, they printed each picture out, you know, separately. On the, yes. In the little circle. Yeah. Yeah. And I kid you not, my third grade class, everybody was brown except for two kids. So I also had a very rare upbringing because I was located so close to military bases. Yes. So kids looked like me. Wow, that's awesome. And that shaped me too. Yeah. Right? To to and that's what people say now. If you can't see it, you can't be it. If you don't see it, you can't be it, right? Yeah. So even though the work that I do now is so much focused on people that aren't seen or overlooked, I was always seen because we were we were the majority, right? But you go ten minutes down, you're in Monterey Carmel. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is not like that. That is really an interesting journey. You know, that's that yeah. just goes to show you though how interesting everybody's story and journey is and how different and unique it is. Mm-hmm. So and it shapes not. who we are. Yes. It shapes yeah. our perspective. It shapes our the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. Hey, I got some serious bias uh, for real, but <laughs> I, you know, I have to check them all the time. Yes. Yeah. No. Right? And true. I learned, I learned that, and I, these are negative bias where I learned that from my parents. I learned it from the community I was in, all yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. the education you get, I mean, there's so many sure. different ways that, you yeah. know, but it is, it is that process of check. So knowing that we have kind of dived into all of these different areas, are there some specific things you want to leave us with? I can't take credit. I can't take credit for what I'm about to share, but I will give credit. Steve Hanamura was a diversity practitioner, amazing, amazing person. I worked, we brought him in when I was at AAA to help us with some training. And his whole thing was be humanly respectful. Love it. And I say it all the time. It's such a simple concept, but it's hard to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Especially, yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. What a great way to just close it out. Be humanly respectful. Love it. Yeah. I love that. And like I said, it's hard to do. Such a simple concept. So, but it yeah. solves all of our problems, right? Huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patty. No, it was fun. Yeah. So, and you know, you have an open invitation to come back and... and we'll have to get together yeah. in person. We'll get together in person. Maybe we can meet halfway. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.